Don't believe it. I just cannot believe it. Series 1, Episode 4, I Retire to Bedlam. Thanks very much for downloading this podcast. Sorry this episode is releasing a little later than I'd like, but I've just come back from a little holiday. Turns out I timed it quite well with the family. Went away on the Friday, came back Monday morning, the day of the, well, hours before they announced the nationwide lockdown. So that's my reason. Hope all is well. Just to say thank you very much for those who've already downloaded the show and listened to the episodes. Still open to feedback if you'd like to send any across or you'd like to get involved with the show in any way. Any questions you want to file through or anything you wanted, to, any observations you might have had about this particular episode, fire away. That'd be really good to uh, use that for the next episode I release. I've got the Meldrew Moan coming up. It's going to be really difficult to not mention the C word, but I probably will end up doing so. I'll try not to. I'll try and bounce around that topic as best as I can. So, let's get on with the show. So, I'll Retire to Bedlam was aired 25th of January 1990. Episode overall, not a lot really happens in this, but there are some peculiar moments. And as the show goes on we will see more and more of these strange surreal moments that happens in Victor's life so scene opens up in the kitchen Margaret is preparing some sort of dinner raw chicken on the table stuffing it with something I don't know quite what and Victor is actually in a really good mood gorgeous the sort of day that actually makes you glad you're alive we know how this will end of course and there's only a couple of Times throughout the series, he's in a genuinely good mood. But in this opening scene, looks like he has decided, actually, life's not so bad. Margaret questions him, well, questions why he's in a good mood. And he says, well, it's Sunday. You know, what's not to like? So he strolls in from from the living room, polishing a, a vinyl record, which might become important later on, or there might be some meaning behind that, which we'll cover later. He walks into the kitchen and... He's whistling and he's cheerful and says, even though Women's Own are giving away a free gift pack of human organs with every issue, I'm feeling good. Referencing a mag- one of Margaret's magazines, I'm sure. And I like the way that he's still able to sort of pass passively be sar- sardonic in, in tone, despite claiming to be in a happy mood. Straight away the scene switches to the shed and the first line is, he speaks of is... God, I wish I was dead. Whose bloody bees are they? How do I know whose bees they are? I wish I was dead. Margaret and Victor, who've gone out to clear the shed on the summer's day, um, are locked inside thanks to someone's collection of bees, it seems. Margaret's speculating that it's uh, a Mr Parslow's collection of bees, as he was apparently looking to take up beekeeping. Victor's obviously fuming. Margaret is, as ever, quite relaxed. You know, she, she's pretty consistent throughout the series. When things aren't going their way, she's usually much calmer. It's Victor she gets wound up at for him sort of going on and on about it. Victor, as I said, absolutely livid that they're in that situation. You know, he's gone from being in a happy mood to very much an angry mood. All because somebody has misplaced their collection of bees. Seemingly, the scene ends pretty quickly, and they're both in the bedroom. It's night time, 
quite enjoy these nighttime scenes. Just a lot can happen with with them just being stationary in bed, just through conversation usually. The scene opens up with Victor, you know, calling out. Three and a half hours. If you're going to lie there saying three and a half hours all night, I'm sleeping in the spare room. Three and a half hours of absolute death. Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours they're in that shed. Tiny little, not even a six foot by four foot shed. Three and a half hours. I mean, understandably, you would be you would be fuming. Presumably, though, he's been moaning about this all day because they went out into the shed. Let's call it lunchtime if, if Margaret was preparing the dinner. They're now in bed, nine or ten hours later, so he really has... You can't really let this one go. Although, you know, I think we'd all have something to say if we'd been locked up for three and a half hours in a tiny room. Victor's hearing, starting to hear buzzing noises and makes a reference that he's worried he'll have a dream that Arthur, Arthur Askey's singing at him through the window which I had to look up. That's a, a well-known B song. Margaret references that he has to be up at 9 o'clock the following morning, so to get plenty of sleep, otherwise he'll be in one of his bad moods. Perhaps that's what puts... Well, partly what puts Victor in these bad moods. It's not just society. It must be a sleep problem, because throughout the show, whenever he hasn't had much kip, and there's there's times when they've been woken up in the middle of the night, or... He's got various ailments going on. He can't sleep. He does put... Well, he puts us all in a bad mood if he can't sleep well. So I wonder if the underlying problem is Victor's sleep quality. I don't know. Just putting it out there. There were three Twix wrappers in the honeysuckle today. Three! He references the wrappers in the honeysuckle. So every episode so far, there's been a continuity on topic with litter. He even goes as far as to mention that the you know, his plants and shrubbery have been covered in ash from the local cornfield so the following morning in the kitchen margaret is with a young lady uh, played by rebecca stevens who we know as iris she is assumably a family friend possibly a relative it's not clear at this point margaret asks her about um her uncle brian it's really hard to say at this stage if she is a relative or not i think i mentioned earlier if i didn't it's probably because i the editing quality of this podcast is what it is, Margaret is talking about a Mr. Parslow who she suspects is responsible for the beekeeping drama from um, the previous day. She mentioned that Mr. Parslow has not been seen for, for the last 24 hours, uh, which is a bit ambiguous. They don't really speculate anything more on that and why he's gone missing. Margaret is also reflecting on Victor on being quite a misery gut since he's retired. So it's, it's still character building still, sort of telling the audience, you know, what Margaret's sort of have to put up with. She's still at work. She can still live a sort of quote-unquote normal life. And she's kept busy. But she's, like I said, reflecting on the fact that Victor's not in that same boat anymore. So it's clearly, understandably, affecting Margaret just as much as it's affecting Victor. So the, the purpose of this visit by this lady, Iris, she is hinting at needing a favour. Um, and Margaret's quite sceptical on the favour she is asking. Purely because what Victor will say. Nothing more is spoken of that. We move on to a completely separate scene now in the eye clinic. An absolute brilliant moment. Comedy genius as far as I'm concerned. It's quite s- simple, but I, it's, it's something I've totally forgotten about. It's an old couple that walk in. Uh, it's, just a, like it's an eye clinic. They walk in, go to the reception desk, and the gentleman, very polite, who we assume has his wife with him, rather than just coming out with what he needs to say, dots around it and says, Excuse me, I'm sorry to trouble you again. There's been a bit of a mix-up. 
My wife brought me here at nine o'clock to see the uh, eye specialist, and we went away about an hour ago, uh, didn't we? And then we did a bit of shopping and went home. And now, do you know, I think he's given me the wrong glasses. Oh, what makes you think that? Well, this isn't my wife, you see. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too ridiculous for words, but that's probably why it's funny. The chance of that happening very slim, I know, but if it did happen, oh, just... Um, has it happened in, in real life? Properly, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's couples in their, what it looks like in their mid-80s. There's every chance that that could happen, I suppose. But needless to say, got some laughs from the audience there. And then we're focused on Victor, who's, be who's sat between a couple of gentlemen of a similar age... They're all shutting their eyes, and Victor's calling out to the reception, you know, when am I going to be seen? It's like it's like being sat in a Mr Magoo Appreciation Society. It's quite a good line, I think. Victor sat next to actor John Bluthill, and I can never know how to pronounce that surname, but he plays Frank Pickle in Vicar Dibley. i got to say, this is 1990, Frank Pickle in Vicar Dibley looks 80s, in the mid-90s, and this guy, he's playing this a random pa patient, who looks late 50s, so either it's a makeup job in Vicar Dibley or he just aged terribly, I don't know. So, anyway, Victor's sat between these two gentlemen. Um, the gentleman to Victor's right opens up with a question saying, What are you in here for then? Victor begins to answer when he's interrupted straight away by the gentleman who's asked the question. Quite rudely, I think. He says, Oh, not you. And he's on about the person to Victor's other side who plays, who plays Frank Pickle in Vicar Dibley. Um, and they're just casually talking about kidney problems and how's the family and stuff. And he fixed a sat in between this. They've all got their eyes shut at this stage. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the chaps is talking about a relative who's just had a kidney transplant or a kidney operation, and that the tubes were how they're being inserted into his back as part of the operation. He goes, how, you know, how long, how big were the tubes? And you know, the gentleman gestures. You know, with his hands to show how long they were. Obviously, they can't see. They can't see him gesturing. But the other guy goes, "You're kidding me." <laughs> Again, more silliness from Renwick, but it's quite imaginative, really. These two blokes got their eyes shut, but they obviously know each other well enough to know what they're on, what the other's on about, and they're on each other's wavelength. And Victor's just a, amongst more madness. We head back to Margaret and Victor's kitchen, and Iris is quite pushy at this point, saying she needs to know by tonight whether they can carry out this mystery favour, what it could be. Iris leaves the kitchen, and there's a knock at the door, and it's a, a BBC broadcaster. Uh, they're from the programme Look East, which is probably a... Well, I imagine it's a local news channel. And they're canvassing uh, for various politicians. It's obviously a by-election coming up. Scene pans back to the eye clinic, and this time Victor's on his own. Still got his eyes shut. And we see a doctor, or clinician, leaving. And there's a, what we assume to be a cleaning woman. And he calls out, you know, can, you, can, you, can I open my eyes yet? And she says yes, and... Again, this is just the story of Victor's life, just mixed up in situations that aren't entirely his fault. But we're, we're, we're led to, this is the end of the day now. He, apparently he's been there since half past eight in the morning. I'm sure he mentions half past eight, because the, the appointment was for nine o'clock. So to think he's been there all day, I just, I just, I'm not sure I believe that. Anyway, 
I'm nitpicking now. But yeah, of course, this cleaner, he thinks it's uh, an ophthalmologist or, or whatever. And he goes into the, the little back room to sit down and she's polishing the chairs and table. She makes a little unintentional funny reference by saying, can you see that mark on that screen and Victor covers one eye? He goes, yeah, I think so. She goes, yeah, I can't get it off with the polish. Very funny, very, very, again, simple, funny. We don't ever see Victor's reaction to the fact that he wasn't, or he wasn't seen by a professional. Head back to Victor and Margaret's hallway and they have a, they have a chap at the door from the Monster Raven Looney Party. They haven't been going long in 1990. I think they formed in 83. So they do a little bit of filming. They move some of the furniture around, the plant pot, just to set the scene. Margaret goes along with the filming. And afterwards, the Monster Raven Looney Party Canada asks to use the toilet, which of course will set up another Victor moment shortly. Victor comes back um, after being here. You know, he's quite livid. He slams his hat on the table he's certainly not in a good mood you know from the previous day and i see he goes up to his bedroom he has one of the many conversations with himself in the mirror and he says something quite interesting and it's again it's to get us sort of on on side with him and he says to himself after he says oh i think i'm losing it he says it's not you you're the only sane one left so don't you start cracking up for god's sake and he really is he is sane like he isn't i i firmly believe we are led to well Renwick's intention was to get us on side with him but see the funny side of his mishaps that he gets himself into anyway as soon as he he says to himself you know you're not cracking up of course walks into the the bathroom and there is the chap dressed as a bee from the monster raven looney party iris calls the the house to find out if margaret has asked victor yet again still quite pushy if i if i needed a favor i probably would be asking as often as iris in the, in the sort of tone she asks Margaret in, the camera flicks back to Margaret, where she's got a facial expression on her as, as if to say, I haven't asked him yet. Relatively pushy, I would say. So Margaret ends the call with saying, it's not the best time in the world, as we hear Victor screaming in, in the background, probably through sheer disbelief after a long day. So we're in the bedroom again, a little bit more character building, just to give you an insight to Victor's disbelief with day-to-day... The tiniest of things that don't really annoy us that much, but still enough to sort of have a, a moan about. Brings in a toilet roll, which I think is quite topical right now. Um, saying that you just cannot break off the toilet roll neatly, which I think is quite a very, quite a specific, quite a, a non-point uh, to make for Victor. But I think it's to set up the line where, Vic, where Margaret says, you're not using my sewing machine to fix the toilet roll like you did last time, are you? You get two in one there. You get to see Victor moaning about a day-to-day tiny thing that can get on our nerves. And it sets up Margaret to reference the fact that he's moaned about this before and gone as far as sewing toilet roll back together. It's this thing that we see Margaret um, subtly asking Victor if they can essentially babysit. And Victor is absolutely devastated by this fact. So we've, he's clearly been in this situation before. It's just not worked out very well as babysitter. Following day... They're in the living room and Iris is around. She's brought her two young lads. Now apparently these two boys need to be babysat because the nursery's been shut. Even though they look about six or seven. And I thought they'd be at school anyway. Now in this scene it's reference from Iris that she said, you know, because the boys are jumping all over Victor. They're tying rope around his neck. They're screeching. Um, You can see why he was dreading the visit because he's clearly not great with kids. Or it, it could be darker than that it could be the fact that they tried to have children and i think it's 
referenced later on that they did I think at least try for child and it didn't work out or they lost the baby I don't know it's quite dark it's never really touched upon properly he's obviously he's quite polite actually he's not really angry at them in front of Iris but Iris says if you don't uh, behave yourself you know if you annoy your uncle I won't come back for you she's mentioned uncle I don't know if that's just sometimes we, we have uncles and aunties that aren't re- related to us they're just family friends when she says I won't come back for you is Victor's response that's made me laugh she bloody will so following the scene it's a little it's a very short montage of the kids running ragged they're, they're balancing plates on sticks they're picking up ornaments and Victor's obviously up to his eyeballs it's also should say that Margaret's actually been to work so this is why she was petrified to ask him because she's put this on him so it's not as if like she could say yes we'll look after the boys um, don't worry, Victor. I can do this for you. She's actually, you know, made him do all the donkey work. She's come back from work early, much to Victor's surprise. References something bizarre. It has to be a bizarre reason why she's back early because they shut the roads because of a, a tanker. They didn't go into she didn't go into more detail than that. She's trying to find the kids. Victor's looking a little bit sheepish because he's obviously hid them, got got them out of the way. They go into the garage and she finds that Victor's essentially tied them up back to back blindfolded and gagged which is once they discover the boys are in the garage tied up from victor he's sort of covering his tracks and saying no we're just playing games he doesn't essentially believe it and she proceeds to be quite annoyed with him quite some uh, serious trouble these days for playing such a alleged innocent game victor in the midst of trying to you know back himself and why he was why he did it playing games he seemingly starts to collapse and he asks margaret to call a call an ambulance victor's now in a on a hospital bed with a spiv-like looking porter or doctor. I think Victor thinks it's a doctor. Casually starts to shave Victor's tummy. and Victor's obviously a little bit perplexed why he's doing this, but he's just said, we're just preparing it before your operation. So it's established that he's having his appendix removed. The alleged doctor putting on his gloves, he starts to put the foam on Margaret, on Victor's tummy, casually sort of shaving his... uh, Stomach hair away. So it's just like being at the hairdressers, isn't it? And as he's shaving Victor, he, he said, he's sort of making idle chat, saying, you know, we've come a long way in the last hundred years. Men on the moon. I was up there myself last week, which is immediately is alarmed Victor. Always in these situations is Victor. Just, it would be him. You know, it's all part of the show, but it's just it's typical, isn't it? It's classic Victor moment. Wrong place, wrong time. And the chap is obviously completely bonkers. And he's talking about how the house prices have gone through the roof and the 30,000 lunar dollars for a three bed. As he's shaving Victor, he's rescued by a doctor and a doctor's assistant and Margaret follows as well. And they capture him and take him away. And as, as they're taken away, he's, he's trying to catch flies in the air with his with his fingers. He was just about to get like a, a crowbar or something to, to open Victor up with. So they got there in the, just in the nick of time. If you're a Jonathan Creek fan, obviously written by David Romick as well, there's a similar... Similar kind of thing in one of the episodes where the character plays, he's got like a multiple personality uh, condition or something where he pretends to be a copper and he kept trying to cause a scene by arresting people and he's essentially works for British Gas. It's quite a funny sort of uh, link there. I think Sid Renwick's used this idea. A post-operation, Victor, Margaret in the sort of waiting room, I think he's just recovering and he's greeted by another politician. Well, I say he, he hasn't been greeted by them yet. Margaret has, but this is a Tory MP. He has a film crew with him. Good evening to you, sir, Gerald Linklater. Uh, can I ask, are you planning to vote on Thursday? I shall, yes. 
Pretty good. I shall be voting for the Monster Raving Looney Party. <laughs> I find their political platform the most sensible of all the major parties. Again, trying to canvas in the local hospital, trying to suck up to the patients in there. Uh, gives Victor a perfect chance. Poor old Tory MP should know better than confront somebody like Victor who starts to go on a bit of a bit of a rant, which we'd all agree with what he's saying here because he's saying how the service is terrible and, you know, how long it takes to get an appointment and that he'd rather vote for the Monster Raven Looney Party. At the end of Victor's r- rants, a cab driver comes to, comes to pick him up and Victor says, Ah, take me to the dark side of the moon, please, which is obviously a link to the guy shaving his stomach claims to have lived on the moon so I think Victor feels at this point he's just feels just as mad as the rest of them bit of a sombre final scene really it's, it's not much closure I guess it's a it's I don't want to say it mirrors the very open scene where he's quite happy and calm but this final scene he's more solemn but he's calm and he's listening to the record that he was polishing in the very first episode that I mentioned some opera music I'm not quite familiar and it seems to be scratched Anyway, you know, he he puts the record away, makes his way up to bed, and he says to uh, Margaret, "If you hear screams, it's just me smacking on some aftershave," which gets a laugh from the audience, a bit like a significant laugh as well. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, not storyline-wise, not a huge amount really that significant, I could say. I mean, just to summarise, we've locked in the the shed because of the the bees escaping, a fortunate incident at the eye hospital where he's there all day because he thinks that he can't can't open his eyes. Um, you've got the babysitting element to it, you know, the kids running ragged and he's tying them up because he can't cope with them. Then, then you know, hospital, have an appendix removed, almost getting cut open by an absolute lunatic. So very much... Very much a theme throughout with madness, but, you know, I guess the title of the episode suggests that would be the case anyway. So, yeah, getting that's the fourth episode complete. Um, I am looking forward to progressing with this podcast because I say every episode, the episodes do get stronger and stronger. There's more and more to talk about. Um, It's still a... Every episode's great. They've all got funny one-liners. There's more and more kooky things that happen to Victor. There's more and more to talk about as as things as time goes on, if you like. But uh, hope you enjoyed it anyway. Um, yeah, sounding bunged up. Luckily, you can't catch the c word through audio, so you'll be all right to listen to this. I think what we'll do now is move on to the Meldrew Moan. Right, my mail remain this week. It can it has to be linked to the COVID nineteen coronavirus outbreak. But I'm not gonna moan about that as such. It's what comes with it on social media. Um now at a time where we're all isolating away from loved ones, friends, family, work colleagues, people are pr- more than ever living on living their lives through social media as it is, but more than ever now. I can't quite work out why so many people are showing us that they're doing press-ups and sit-ups, pull-ups. I don't care. There's a few funny ones out there with, like, pets and stuff. People and their pets, that's fine. But it's those who take it ultra-seriously. 
Now, it's good to encourage people to keep fit and exercise at a time where we're going to be confined to our own living rooms and bedrooms and whatever. If you're lucky enough to have a garden, even better. And it's right to encourage people to exercise, but bloody hell. It's a lot of it's egotistical. You can just tell by certain ones who post uh, post their videos up. But that's my Meldrew moan. I'd love to hear your Meldrew moans. Um, rant away. You know, this doesn't have to be a show just by, just me talking about episode on episode. You can rant about anything. You can even rant about, like I said, the quality of this podcast. Uh, if it's constructive enough, you can still rant about it. That's good. And you can possibly, if you could be kindly... Um, leave a review. I haven't yet had a review. So if you want to be the first one, I'll give you a massive shout-out. Even if it's a one-star, I will give you a shout-out because at least someone's bothered to leave a review. So I'll be very grateful. Yeah, there's not a lot more I can talk about on this show. I think I've my voice is about to go. Endeavour to continue to release these weekly. Weekends, preferably. I've got more time than ever. So there shouldn't be an excuse, really. Anyway, I'd like to thank you very much for uh, downloading this show. I'm on Twitter at One Foot in the Pod. You can email One Foot in the Podcast at gmail.com for any questions or suggestions or anything like that. I'll be very grateful. All right, then. Take care. Stay healthy. Be as hygienic as you know Victor would be in these, in these um, dodgy times. He would have an absolute field day if he was, uh, well, if he, he'd be very much in the high risk category. Anyway, God bless Victor, Margaret, Mrs. Warboys. Uh, until then, uh, we'll be bringing you. I say we. I'll be bringing you the episode, the Eternal Quadrangle. Uh, look forward to it. Cheers. Oh, I'm in the grave.